Nathan said, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you for being here. I hope you'll find something I have prepared to be uplifting to you, admonishing to you. And you might, we all learn something from the scriptures this morning. Being the first of the year, I, I started thinking about what I would speak upon, and I wanted to talk about our God. I wanted to talk about the one that we worship, the one that is the only God, and I wanted to do it by using some of the names that we find in the Old Testament. Reading along there, commentators are telling me there's well over 10 different names used in the Old Testament for God. And for your sake, we're not going to do all 10 of them. But I have a problem in that I am not a scholar of ancient Hebrew, so pronunciation is going to be terrible. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure that none of y'all are students of ancient history, so ancient Hebrew, so probably I'll get away with it because you won't know any better. I will give you some things, though, I've learned about trying to pronounce the names that we find here, and I think it's quite interesting, the Hebrew language per se. Thank you, Riley, for reading. As Riley read to us, God gave himself a name. One of the names that God gave himself is I Am. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? If you think about it, this is a really reasonable question. It had been over 200 years and since Joseph had brought the children, his family, the children of Israel, into Egypt. And at that time, they were guests. They were treated well. But Joseph had been dead some 65, 70 years now. The Pharaoh that, ha- that was there is also dead. And the Pharaoh that looks upon the, e- the Israelite people as slaves and was using them as slaves. And surely the influence of the pagan nation of Egypt was influencing the children of Israel. They did not have the law. They did not have a leader, per se, that remembered the promises that God had done, had seen those things that God had done. So Moses simply asked, he says, which God are you? He said, who am I supposed to tell them you are? Why are you different than any of these other gods? And of course, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus saith thou shalt, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. Ehe Asher Ehe, I am that I am. The Hebrew words of that. Ehe or Ehe. According to the scholars, the ancient Hebrew didn't have tenses that were different words. So you had to read a sentence and look at the tense of the word and say, well, is this past tense, present tense, right now, when is it? Well, a hey could mean I was or I am and I w- or I will be. What a perfect name for God. For he was, he is. And he will be. And he told Moses, he said, that's what you tell them. You tell them, hey, I 
am, I was, and I will be. Asher can be translated that, who, which, or where. As Riley read to us the New King James Version, it was translated who. The King James Version translated that, but you can say I am who I am. I don't have to change for anybody else. I don't have to ask anybody's permission for what I do. I am God. I was, I am, and I will be, and I will be who I will be. You tell them that. That's who I am. God also gave a name to himself, El Shaddai, the Almighty God. We read this in Genesis, the 17th chapter. It says there, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk with me and be thou perfect and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. God named himself, I am the almighty God. I am not an idol. I am not something that someone made out of stone or, or uh, wood and carved. No, I am the God. And I am the almighty God, El Shaddai. The most popular name that's given in the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of this name that is translated God, and that's Yahweh. I wanted to just talk a little bit about what I read and understand from scholars. It was written in the English letters YHWH. No one really knows how you pronounce that. You know, people talk about how the English language is so difficult, and the English language is difficult to learn, I understand, from people coming from other countries. But the ancient Hebrew, when they had a name, they didn't put any vowels in it. They just gave you the constants. So YHWH is what you saw, and no one knew how to pronounce that. They don't know how to pronounce it today. Now, scholars have decided that it is Yahweh, but you've got to remember that that's not necessarily exactly right. I read that normally in a name, the last... The last H of the name is not pronounced. It's silent, like we have some in our English language. So Yodahahweh, or Yahweh, is what people have decided to call the name, but we don't know for sure if that's how you pronounce it. It would be, I, I just can't believe trying to read ancient Hebrew. First of all, there were no spaces between the words. When you came to a name, you only got the constants. There was no spaces between sentences. It was just a line of letters from right to left. They read right to left. So you think English might be hard to learn to read. I think ancient Hebrew would be tough. Well, As I said, no one knows for exactly sure that Yahweh is the way that was pronounced, but that's what people decided to call it. But to the, to the practicing Hebrew of the time of Christ, Yahweh was such a holy name that they wouldn't say it out loud. There's nothing in the scriptures that says you don't 
say God's name out loud, but it was one of the traditions. You just don't say it because it's too holy to mention. It's too holy for you to have out of your mouth, across your lips. And so they did not speak the word Yahweh, my understanding, to anyone. Instead, they used other terms like uh, Adonai. Adonai is translated my Lord. And so instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai. In religious ceremonies or prayers, even today, Elohim is the word they use. Elohim is a common name for God or gods. It can be used for the little g, the idolatry God, or the big G, our God. But it's what's used in services today in prayers and in public speaking that have to do with religious things, Elohim. The one I like is Hashem. Hashem is if you and I were walking down the street and we started talking about God, we would not say Yahweh because that's too holy. We wouldn't say Elohim because that's too religious. Instead, we say the name. We would say Hashem, the name, that guy, the guy we don't pronounce his name, Hashem. We use that in everyday speech. In Deuteronomy 10, after Moses had come down with the Ten Commandments, he said unto Israel, What does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is... God has required of mankind these things. Always has required of man these things. To fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, and keep his commandments. Always. God doesn't change, and that's what he expects of mankind. That's what he expects of you and I. Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To be afraid of the Almighty God, what is wrong with that? A little fear does not hurt. We find in Proverbs, by mercy and truth, Iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. People say, well, just like in Ecclesiastes, where the whole duty of man is, is to fear God uh, and keep his commandments, well, that, that's respectful. That's reverence to God, and it's true, it is. But a little fear is in there, too. He is God of God. He is the one that holds the eternal, eternal destination of our souls within his hands. And not doing what he, doesn't, what he wants us to do, we ought to be afraid. One of the problems in all of history, and today in particular, men don't depart from evil. Why? Because they don't, they're not afraid of God. There is no consequences for doing things wrong. There is, they just don't see it. And it will come and it will be. So a little fear is wholesome to the soul. 
Again, in Deuteronomy 10, Moses said, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons nor, nor taketh reward. Elohe Ahiloham, the I am is plural. Elohe Ahiloham, God of gods, and Adonai Adonim is the Lord of lords. We need to understand who God is. God is everything. And we need to be substituted to him. We need to obey him. We need to do everything he tells us to do. And we need to fear him. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. He is all there is. Ten commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. How often in the public we hear the name of God taken in vain? Hear it on the golf course a lot. On TV, in schools, all over the place. They do that because they don't have any fear of God. You and I as believers in God and Christians we need to be really careful of how we present ourselves and what we present God's name as and God is. It's just not his name, but it's reverence to him. It is doing what he wants us to do. The first name I wanted to pick outside of the two that God picked is Adonai El Roy. Adonai El Roy means the God who sees me. And this comes from the story that we find of Hagar. Remember who Hagar was? Hagar was the Egyptian handmaid of Sarai before she was Sarah. Abraham or Abram was 86 years old. And Sarai said, why don't you take my handmaid and have a child because we can't seem to have any children. And it wasn't uncommon to have more than one wife or to have a concubine in order to raise a large family. The problem was, is Sarai said that, but when Hagar got pregnant, Sarai was extremely jealous. Extremely jealous. And she told Abram, said, this isn't going to work. So Abram said, well, you do whatever you want to, to Hagar. She's yours. Well, she treated her miserably, evidently. We pick up the story in Genesis, the 16th chapter, in the 6th verse. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain of the way of Sir. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard thy affliction. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seeth me. Adonai El Roy. Adonai El Roy. The, the God that seeth me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeketh me? Wherefore the well was called Berlahiel, 
which means the well of him that liveth and seeth me. The word Adonai El-Rul is more than just God sees me. God saw her in her destitution, in her problems. And what I thought was interesting here, it says, Here have I also here looked after him that seeth me. She said, I've been looking for God. Again, before Moses, before the law, but Abraham knew of God. And this handmaid said, I've been seeking God. And what does it say? If you seek me, you will find me. And so she said, God seeth me. But it's more than just he looks down on me. It's that he sees me no matter what. For those that follow after me, that seek me, he is there to help. He is there to see my problems. He is there to be with me just like he is with us. There are two ways to think of the fact that God sees you. One, you can think of it from an evil evil way and said if I'm evil I'm going to do things in the dark so God doesn't see me or I don't get caught or you can look at it the other side from the the side of goodness as the psalmist David said here in 139 if I say surely the darkness shall cover me even the night shall be light unto me yea the darkness hideth not from thee but the night shineth as a day the darkness and light are both alike to thee Noah tried to run away from God, got swallowed by this fish, was at the bottom of the water and realized, he said, even down here, God sees me. He knows where I am. You and I go through life and we hurt and we mourn and things don't go well at work. They don't go well at school. We have trouble with friends. We have trouble with our own family. But God sees that. And God looks at us. He helps us. He takes care of us. He understands what is going on. Farther on down in 139. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. What a statement. When I get up. God is here. He sees me. He is with me. He protects me. He covers me with his mercy and his kindness. But, going back to Hagar for a a moment, it had been some 15 plus years later. Life happens. Her son was a teenager. We find that Sarai, or Sarah now, had become pregnant. And so she had a child, and when it was about two years old or so, again, she got really jealous of Ishmael, the teenager. He can't be in this camp. You've got to do something, Abraham. And in this case, Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, and the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, 
let me not see the death of my child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and and wept. Life happens. She was thrown out of the camp. She was thrown out in the desert. She had no more water. Her son and herself both were going to die of thirst. She had forgot of the God and Anai Elroy at the time. She had forgot what God said to her. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. God, through the angel, said, what's your problem, Hagar? I told you that I see you. You named me that I see you, and I do. I told you that your son, he's not going to die here. He's going to be the father of a great nation. Here is water. I think it's interesting. You think God just put a well there? Or she was sitting right next to it 10 foot and didn't see it? No. He made it happen. And she had water. The next name I want to talk about is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom means the God of peace. It's a common greeting that the Israelite people use today, and they've used it for, I guess, thousands of years. Shalom, meaning hello, how are you? But it also means peace be unto you. And like the Hawaiian that use aloha, when you get ready to leave, they also say shalom, which means peace be with you. So the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, you know who, who tagged that name? It was Gideon. And I think this is a really interesting story. In fact, my study has made me feel a whole lot better about some verses that I find in the New Testament. We'll talk about them in a minute. Because of what... Gideon said about the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom. If you remember the count, the Midianites had come in and they had swept through the land of the Israelites. They had a a really great means of doing war. It just takes patience. They would wait until whatever nation they were conquering, in this case the Israelites, would have their fields ready to harvest and they would go through and burn most of them down. That doesn't require any soldiers to get killed. It doesn't require conflict or battle. You just destroy the crops. Well, there's a little left over. So the next year when they put up the grain and they put up the crops again, Midianites came through there and would put them on fire, burn them down. So a nation would either succumb and give in or starve to death. And that's where we pick up the story. And there came an angel of the Lord and said under an oak, which was at Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash and Abrazite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. They were threshing what wheat they could find, and they were hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty van of valor. I think that's a really interesting statement in that, Gideon didn't think of himself as a mighty man of valor ever. 
And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen to us? And where by all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I think that's a, a reasonable statement. He, he said, where is God? We're starving to death. I'm down here hiding, trying to get a little grain so I have something to eat. And our forefathers told us of these miracles and how that God took us out of Egypt and, and took care of us. Where is my God? What happened to him? And Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an offer there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an offer of the Abrazites. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Now, what I think is interesting about this, first of all, this took some faith on Gideon's part. And he believed that this angel had come down face to face to him. But, you know, he built this altar. You know when he built it? He built it before he had confirmation of the fleece being wet with dew or not be wet with dew. He did it before... God asked him to knock down the idols. He did it before thousands of Israelites that came had to be dwindled down to 300 to go fight this battle. He did it before he ever fought. He did it before he ever won. So why Jehovah, God of peace, now? Why did he be able to write this? Well, because he believed that God would do what he said he would do. Jehovah Shalom. Very familiar scripture here in Isaiah about our Christ. For under us a child is born, unto us a son, under us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth ever forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Form this. Our Savior, among many titles, is called the Prince of Peace. And his government is of peace. But just like Gideon, we have to believe that he will do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Gideon believed that God was going to take care of him, that he was going to take care of his people, and therefore he could put up a, an altar that says to the God of peace, because I have peace, because why? I see the end. I know what's going. There may be lots of things between here and there that are difficult and hard to hard to bear, but I know what the end is. So Jehovah Shalom helped me understand Philippians 4 and 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding should keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does it mean, the peace of God shall pass all understanding? 
It means that we know what the end goal is. We know what it's going to be to succeed. We know what it's going to be to be faithful. So no matter what, we can have joy in our heart. We can have peace. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter and 1. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season it need be that ye be in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, who, who having, whom, having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. He says, even though for a while there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be trials, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be pain, it's going to be there, we're living life. But he says, your joy is unspeakable. Why? Because there's an end. The salvation of our souls. So Jehovah Shalom, he is the God of peace. His son is the Prince of Peace because he will do what he says he will do. Look at 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you whom also will do it. Sometimes I make promises to my wife and I don't do them. Should, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. I don't know if you have that trouble, but I do. But you know what? God doesn't. His son doesn't. And he will save us. We will have eternal life if we are faithful to him. It says because who also will do it. He will do it. That gives us peace. Should give us peace. Just like we read there in Isaiah. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will as God will have it to be. And he will always succeed. And we can have peace because we know no matter what, between now and the end of our life or now until Christ comes and salvation is given, we know that he will perform it and he will do it. Jehovah Shalom. But today, this dispensation of time, there is only one name that matters. Only one. And that name is given to us Numerous times in the New Testament, but here in Philippians. Where Paul told them there, he said that Jesus who was obedient to God, even to a death on the cross, says, Wherefore God also having highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every name shall bow and of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to know what the name that's important today is? It's Jesus. In the judgment day, at the end, every man, every woman will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. There'll be two camps. There'll be the camp 
that will confess Jesus is Lord. And as the scriptures always tends to say a lot, there'll be gnashing of teeth. For they know they have not obeyed him. They know they didn't do what they should have done. And when they confess him, they are condemning themselves for not doing what they should have done. And the other camp are those that are obedient to Jesus Christ that are in joy and peace. Will, will confess his name. Understanding the reward that is there because of it. Because why? Because those that were faithful in this life can confess that name in joy with the idea that they will receive a home in heaven. Two camps. Which one do you want to be in? You want to be in the one that confesses Jesus as, as Lord knowing that you have condemned yourself or the one that confesses Jesus as Lord and you enter into a heavenly place. There's a plan. The plan is, is one's got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to confess his name before men. You need to repent of your sins and you need to have those sins washed away in baptism. By doing so, you have confessed that Jesus is Lord. And being Jesus is Lord, that doesn't mean I just walk out of here and I do whatever I want. No, it means that I do what he wants me to do. Because he's Lord. He's king. He's the master. Think about it as we sing the song, a couple of verses of the song of invitation.